Welcome to We Do, the officially unofficial podcast for Watchmen on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And we are, I don't know if you know this, the only podcast actually answering the question, who watches the Watchmen? The others turned out to be hoaxes. Ozymandias hoaxes. <laughs> they don't exist anymore. That we damn Redford, them. it's all a liberal conspiracy. <laughs> right. They're all supported on Redfordations. And <laughs> Redford's not president anymore. Keane's president now. And yeah. that's all kind of shit. Yeah. Uh, we watched season one, episode two, and we're here to talk about martial feats of Comanche, Comanche horsemanship. Aaron, what'd you think of this episode on second watch? Uh, it's a great episode. It, um, had an interesting sense of humor. Like there, um, there's a lot of, I, I thought there was a lot of funny things in this episode. Uh, there's also just a lot of really great acting and the cinematography is off the charts. Good. Um, and it does that Lindelof thing where it just keeps like it just keeps unfolding and keeps asking more questions and keeps asking more questions. And yeah. it's maddening. It's maddening because uh, <laughs> when you're compiling feedback or you're trying to look at see like where the state of the art of like theories are, it's like there's no wrong mm-hmm. answers and there's so much right. churn because there's, you know, people put their own little spin on things. Um, but and it's going to be really fun to see this eventually round in the shape and and come up with you know be be a thing because right now like what the hell is ozymandias doing the more we find out the more it's what the fuck was going is it on even ozymandias is <laughs> even ozymandias yeah. same thing with hooded justice like there's mm-hmm. several things like that where it's like there's a way to look at it and it seems satisfying but is that what they're really doing with it and yeah you know like i was i thought i was all in on the hooded justice theory and i still am but like i didn't see him getting uh, rescued by a magnetic spaceship <laughs> nope. like that seems like a real corner to paint yourself into narratively like just just explaining that event seems like it would take two or three episodes but yeah uh you know i've got a lot of affection for for lindelof uh from the leftovers and uh i'm digging it what do you what are you thinking and i also think the fact that he said hey this is going to be a one season self-contained thing whether we make more or not uh helps helps me feel like i'm gonna get answers even if you know we don't get every answer that we want i feel like he will do a satisfying job of answering the questions we need to get answers to yeah i did see that he was talking about uh, in an interview i can't remember who it was last week where he is saying um there may be future seasons of the Watchmen, but Mm -hmm. he's not maybe necessarily interested in helming them and he's looking to he would be looking to hand it off and he mentioned Ryan Coogler as uh, oh, yeah. uh, as, a, as a person who might uh, be qualified to take it over. If you don't know Ryan Coogler, he's the one uh, behind uh, Fruitville Station, Creed, uh, and then Black Panther. <laughs> I was going to say, bury uh, the lead there. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I just want to save the you know black superhero movie uh-huh. uh, that got uh, global acclaim for the, the, the real the hammer, at my point. Yeah. No, he, I think he would potentially be a great choice, mm-hmm. uh, especially with the talented writers that they have in the room. Uh, currently yeah yeah there would be i mean uh, no doubt there'd be a little bit of trepidation for me just handing this off to anybody no matter how well how well qualified they are but mm-hmm. um i think that's that's a way to go if he had something that he's really passionate about saying in this season and then if other people are intrigued by this this premise which i think it seems like this world would be just interesting to p- keep playing with and mm-hmm. there's there'll probably be a lot of different ways you can ch- you can uh, take it depending on how many questions are left open at the end of the season. So, oh, it'll be yeah. To to your point about like having a little trepidation with whoever takes it mm-hmm. over, I think Lindelof definitely has a style. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lindelof has a way of telling stories that uh, works for Lindelof, and I've seen other people 
try to do similar things and maybe not as successfully. Mm -hmm. uh, say what you want about Lost, but uh, yeah, I it would be interesting to see somebody else take this over after season one and see what the show looks like. Yeah, in somebody else's hands. Yeah, that'd be that'd be a fun little adventure to go on. So uh, I also really love this episode. I, I think this is maybe better than episode one because we get a little bit of uh, more character development. Um, some, of, some of the things that I love about Lindelof's work are those really well-written characters and understanding their motivations and why they're doing the things they do makes them a hundred times better mm -hmm. than the, I think the characters that we saw in the first episode, which I didn't think there was much in mm -hmm. the way of character development. But he was world building world at build, that yeah. point, which I also appreciate. Uh, so it was nice to get a little taste of character building this time. Sure. All right, time for housekeeping. And guys and gals, I'm not going to lie. There's just too much good TV to keep up with right now. Too much for any one human to keep up with. Yet, we valiantly try. If you want to keep up with any of these, just search for the show name wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. Pickle Me This is our Rick and Morty podcast wrapping up with season three coverage. It releases every Tuesday. This week we're talking Morty's Mind Blowers with Ify Wadiwe from the Maximum Fun Network. He's a really fun interview, and we talked about whether we should stress about shifting dimensions. On our podcast, 2-Bit Encryption, we're covering the twisty and turny final season of Mr. Robot, the world's premier show about hacking, mental illness, and social alienation. Full podcast recaps every Wednesday. On American Horror Story Podcast, we are covering season 9, the 1984 season. Comes out every Friday morning. Don't look now, but this week is the Halloween episode, almost guaranteeing a banger. Cecil and I are also doing our Cinema Spooktacular. It's our third annual. The first two episodes are out. The third episode will drop on Halloween Eve, Eve, this 30th, this uh, this Wednesday. Cecily and Alexis of Pin Y fame will be covering his dark materials on Bald Move TV starting on Monday, November 4th. But you don't have to wait now. You can download their coverage that they began last week with a review of the 2007 Golden Compass movie. Finally, if you're in the mood for spooky stories to tell in the dark, check out our newest feature, Lunch with Jim and Aaron, Reheated. This is where we release our five-year-old club member-only lunch podcast for everyone to enjoy. This Thursday, we have the classic lunch where Jim and I turn off the studio lights and tell spooky stories from our childhood. Can your spine handle the tingle from the tale of the church on Joppa Road? Check out this week's reheated lunch and find out. Once again, if any of those sound good, just search for the show name wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can find them all on baldmove.com. Uh, why don't we get into the recap? Let's do it. We start off with a German typist getting selected to transcribe the propaganda flyer that's dropped on the troops in World War I, uh, specifically the, the black troops, the colored troops. Uh, it makes it into the hands of Will's father and to the present day where we return to the scene of Judd's hanging. I found out this woman's name, this typist's name, is Fräulein Muller. Mm-hmm. Muller comes up a lot. Oh God! In we're this we're gonna have to talk about the PD files again. The PD files. Pedipedia. Uh, I know what it's called. Mul Mul Muller. Um, like I said, this name. We'll, we'll call it out as it as it happens, but it, yeah. it keeps coming up in this episode and in some of the supplemental uh, information, like mm -hmm. the the PD files. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I guess like just the one of the things to glean from it is that that is the same name as the commander that Judd served in under uh, dur during the liberation of Vietnam. Well, that's that that Robert Mueller is also a well, special yeah. counsel that was involved in our universe in the yep. uh, investigation into whether the Trump administration had uh, done bad stuff with foreign countries. Does it mean anything? 
I don't know. During their campaign. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't detect like a specific meaning. It was just coincidental that all these names keep showing up. Yeah. No, there's definitely something to it. We just don't quite know. Mm -hmm. um, I thought it was interesting that they have the German general like seen upside down through magnifying glass. Yeah. Um, through that looking glass, right? Yeah. Like that's kind of a topsy-turvy kind of uh, look at it. it. kind of reminds us of how so many other things are topsy-turvy in this world. Mm -hmm. um, I thought like there's just some just really arresting things like this, uh, uh, the Hood of Justice's dad or at least Will's dad. Is Will's dad, right? Not Grant. Yeah, it's his dad mm -hmm. getting spit on as he's reading this propaganda poster yeah. uh, pamphlet. Um, and then finally, that's like seeing Will uh, trying on his dad's uniform and this letter tucked into his shirt pocket and he's reading it. And the thing that he's, you know, his, his dad takes away from as he's reading to carry arms in service of America is not an honor, but a shame. Mm -hmm. um, which is interesting in so much that like... Uh, well, it's interesting for a lot of reasons, but it's also directly applicable to uh, the police in Tulsa who are carrying weapons uh, mm -hmm. in service of the American government. And there's restrictions on it. I, I think there's 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 definitely a lot there there. And if he is hooded justice, you could see what, why he might be pushed toward vigilantism instead sure. of uh, joining up for the official law keeping uh, justice squads. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's just like and they go a little. They go into this in depth in the PD files, but the, just to illustrate the depth of the skepticism that an, uh, uh, an African American would have towards the government, like especially mm -hmm. in the in the 20s, where uh, they lay out this um, case where um, you know there's all these like things, animosities coming together, like uh, post World War One reintegration troubles, the fact that uh, you know Birth of the Nation, the film which released in 1915 was screened at the White House and was popularizing the KKK as like heroic vigilantes. Mm -hmm. um, and the fact that like in 1921, like the number of lynchings had like skyrocketed. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Why, why would you want to, to join in with uh, any, any organization? Why would you trust that? Yeah. All right. We move on to uh, modern day. Yeah. Angela grabs, snatches up Will uh, takes him to the bakery, handcuffs him to a piece of equipment, and changes into a uniform. And they discuss sort of who he is. This is all a big mystery. We know that, you know, he says his name is Will um, and who he turns out to eventually be. But he claims over and over again to be the one who strung up the chief of police because he had skeletons in his closet. Uh, Angela gets this page that they found the chief, and then she takes this cup that Will has been drinking out of for evidence and heads over to the scene of the crime. Uh, a lot of people felt me on that whole thinking that uh, Angela's going to bag Will. <laughs> yeah. Cecily <laughs> uh, said that like the reaction and the instant talk was like 50-50 between the people like, I didn't get that at all, to the, oh, yeah, totally. And on second watch, I thought like, yeah, it seemed she grabs the thing, she poofs it out, she's like headed for his head, and she just bags the coffee cup <laughs> instead of uh, of the man himself. Um, I did you. There's a couple interesting things to notice here. Um, I was trying to think of what to call Sister Knight's lair. And I came up with the the night out, like instead of, like the sister night out instead of the sister night hideout. Oh, but the okay. thing that like seems to be sticking on Reddit is the bait cave. Bait cave. I like the bait cave. Man, I, I have so many bones to pick with this fucking bakery. Oh yeah, this sham of a bakery. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there. It's not a very well ran cover operation. It, it is doesn't not. Seem like we'll um, talk about that. I mean, they could do something like for catering only, but then they'd have people calling for, you know, baking catering. Uh, yeah, uh, 
and and I I just couldn't help but notice that you know him saying hey uh, maybe I'm Doctor Manhattan or I am Doctor Manhattan like this is Lindelof going I know exactly how the audience is going to react and if you look at like some of those uh, those PD pedophiles mm-hmm. uh, there's a little bit of knowing in there too mm. which we might talk about uh, you you can tell Lindelof has been around the block enough times to know sort of how people are going to react to his work sure. And and playing with those expectations and those inevitable theory crafting. Yeah, sessions. I really like the way they're using the soundtrack here too, where they have Angela have this kind of like uh, venting of the rage and grief she's feeling, mm-hmm. um, and the soundtrack's dead silent. And then when she calms herself and kind of like is ready to put on her game face, literally in the case yeah. of Sister Knight, then the synth track really kicks in. Is this uh, the same? track from the first time she suited up i think so but i, I think wouldn't this is her swear theme. yeah 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 I'm, I'm not certain of that either i didn't or it go could back and be check, just but... like the vigilante theme because i think they play it like okay. when they're pulling up on nixonville uh-huh. um but i don't i don't you've got a better ear for music than i do it sounded similar but i mean it's trent Reznor, of course it does uh, a couple other things about will he drinks scalding hot coffee mm-hmm uh, which will also be uh, something interesting to talk about at the end of the episode. And he takes pills for his memory. That he claims are for his memory. What are the pills for? Because that's the thing. It's for like, drinking scalding hot coffee. They coat maybe. the inside of your mouth. It's, it's like when Homer was trying to win the chili competition and he drank a whole <laughs> uh, wax candle to coat, coat sure. the inside of him. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. It uh, prepares him for the hot water. Yeah. Uh, there's, uh, it's I, essentially I, advanced Pepto-Bismol. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're super Pepto. There, uh-huh. there's something. Uh, they're they're trying to tell a story of him being kind of superhuman in uh-huh. some ways, maybe. But they're like in the same way that like uh, uh, Kevin was unable to die in the leftovers. Okay, like yeah, yeah but you know that like it, it, so the leftovers work because like each individual instance, you could be like, well, there's an explanation for that. Well, there's an explanation mm-hmm. for that. And the joke was, uh, at what point? Uh, are all these extremely unlikely but entirely plausible explanations happening to the same person in itself a miracle? Mm-hmm. And I wonder if there's... Because you can make an argument where, like, oh, some people can drink coffee really super fucking hot. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people can uh, pluck things out of boiling water without getting burned. I mean, I've seen myself, there was this guy uh, in some Asian country who was, like, making some kind of, like, fried Rangoon or something, and it showed him just picking the stuff up out of the boiling oil, because yeah. his hands were so desensitized and calloused over a lifetime of doing that. Right. So again, there's a lot. There's explanations for for things, but we'll see where hooded justice goes. To where is it just a coincidence? Is pile up until you think, okay, maybe he has actual superpowers. Um, and that's leaving aside his origin story, which is ex- which is mm. just straight up the Superman origin story. Right. So uh, anything else we wanted to mention? There's just so much detail in, in these scene? opening scenes. It's like, wow, I don't want to leave anything out. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it we come back around to sure. um, by the end of this episode. So let's but keep But the, the important thing is he asserts is a vast, insidious conspiracy here in Tulsa. Yeah. And so that's the other weird thing I found throughout this episode is like how the Redfordations seem like it's centered on this event in Tulsa. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, this isn't some kind of like countrywide thing. It's like this is some kind of epicenter that's happening right here. Uh, like a singular it, it, event instead of like indicting all of America. Well, it strikes me as like a compromise, like a a white compromise. Like, okay, we know that all of you deserve reparations right. in some form. But that's expensive. But the most horrific event that we can possibly think of is the one that we are willing to compensate you for. Mm-hmm. Uh, because 
the the majority white population of this country would probably fucking riot 7k style mm-hmm. if we were to just hand out money to everyone it, uh, and when i say hand out i mean that's probably how they would view it mm-hmm. so it's it strikes me as like some kind of compromise between like doing the right thing and and not pissing off the people who would be pissed off by this well i'm interested because even though it looks like it has in in right um well i mean you know pissing everyone off is different from pissing everyone off like you piss a vocal minority off and that seems like everyone i think that's your your line of argument is interesting in in light of the pd files which is essentially an excerpt of the court ruling that led to the red predations Mm -hmm. um because they outline a legal strategy for which uh, crimes committed in the distant past could still be seen as not outside the uh, statute of limitations. Yeah. So, like, how the hell... To me, that seems like it would have the opposite effect. Like, this might be a compromise solution, but, like, it, it's a legal it's a legal decision that would open the, f- the floodgates to, like, right. every race riot, every uh, instance of lynching, every instance of a black population being uh, but this is a very terrorized, new... which is a lot, if not all of them. Yeah. Uh, but but it's a, I get the impression that it's a very new development mm-hmm. as well. Um, this is not something that has been going on for 30 years, right? Right. Or the... the, the red predations haven't been 30 years i think it was like i there wasn't that case like 2004 so like it's within you're right i mean that's was not, it that's i mean the one in our recent. real world was in the 90s i know that much the, the uh, what there was essentially like litigation over uh reparations for the black wall street event oh really in real life yeah okay, okay. um which went the opposite direction hmm. nothing was done about it hmm. uh but i don't know when I, I thought it was pretty recent that the red predations had taken place but it could be because, again, like the, you know, what the court found versus what the government, because obviously it's called red predations, not Supreme Court enact, you know, like there, oh. there's some legislation that went along with it. Right. Uh, that, and maybe that's answered some of the questions about how they capped the things. And I, it's also mm-hmm. not entirely I'm not entirely sure if this is isolated to Tulsa or if you're supposed to understand that there are other centers around big uh you know, uh, 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 moments of black tragedy in America where you could go and... and uh, Sure, like the redlining in Chicago. I bet that's right. a big fucking deal. Right, 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 right. Or there's yeah. instance to a red summer in 1919 where there's like hun- hundreds of lynchings against uh, black Americans. Hmm. Um, so like if you're like... So, so if you start adding all those up and the descendants of those and the people related, to, that could be a pretty big section of, of uh, America. Because it's yeah. just so limited, it's hard to see how it would do anything to like make a difference, you know, like how could the racists get too upset or how many racists are, well, shit, I don't know if I want to ask, ask that question. But, but I mean, we're looking at the racist in the yeah. center of mm-hmm. this event, right? Yeah. So of course they're the ones who would be upset. And that's the other thing is I don't understand if Redford Asians are be seen as like a test program that like maybe will be expanded later or this is yeah. already be expanded because like, you know, it, Seventh Cavalry types, if it's like a test case, they might want to just really fucking act the fool just to keep people from, you know, just to put that pressure as well. You know, it can't do how bad it worked out here. Right, (laughs) right. Not because of any positive or negative effects to the African-American community, but because the fucking, you know, neo Klansmen got riled up about it. So, yeah, shit like that can shut down progress for sure. Sure. Uh, Let's go over the newsstand guy talking about politics as a young woman shows up and buys a copy of every single paper except for one which hasn't shown up yet i don't know if that's significant yeah this is very much in keeping with the the comic uh and of course the movie 
Yeah, this uh, they mentioned Tulsa, Vancouver, Jakarta, and Leningrad all being hit by simultaneous squid attack, which seems yeah. like that might be the unprecedented thing. Right. I was I was questioning during the instant take what you know it's been happening for thirty years. Why would scientists be up? like baffled by the squids but i guess it's the global nature of it yeah and the simultaneous and and the 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 newspaper purveyor here is talking about um you know he's going again he's he's talking about like what we talked about an instant talk that like you know uh this world posits that in like after 30 years of democratic majority rule that the nation is a lot more PC and a lot more mm-hmm. uh, cracked down on what you can and can't say on television and what kind of restrictions. And he calls that as the Gestapo taking away our rights. But he also knows enough about the Keene family. He's like, you know, he's a, he's a both sides kind of guy mm-hmm. uh, are full of shit. Yeah. Um, more like a comedian kind of character. <laughs> yeah. But I, I am wondering about this little Girl Scout looking uh-huh. girl. Like what Buying is her papers deal? for someone? Yeah. Like all the papers. Uh, I, I want to say this might be connected to the Vietnam stuff. There's there's this idea of Lady True that mm. we talked about last week. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. We know that that's a company. Uh, I don't know. I don't mm. know. I don't think the fact that she's Asian is a coincidence. Mm. I think it's more meant to indicate something to us. Well, could I mean? But there's so many alternate explanations like the fact that oh, Vietnam's yeah. a 51st state would imply that there'd be a hell of a lot more Vietnamese immigrants because sure. you can just move here. Yeah. <laughs> You know, your, your passport is good yeah. here. Yeah, you just, you just get on a plane and fly over. There's no immigration at all. You just move. It's yeah. just called moving. Mm-hmm. So I, that, that could be as innocent as that, or it could be, yes, some kind of lady true connection. Could be. I don't want to say too much on that because people are speculating like crazy on the Yeah, internet, yeah. <laughs> which I like. Uh, so so what do you think? What What's up with this uh, global squid fall? Because it, it, to me, it seems like an acceleration of something that was already happening. Yeah, it's like, like in Pacific Rim, you know, you got a category right. five kaiju now. It's un- it's 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 like the things that have happened before, but the size and scale of it is different, and that's the notable thing. Yeah, um, and is that you know is that intentional? Is that something that someone is making happen? It's entirely unclear to me whether you're supposed to understand that the world governments are aware of the deception that Ozymandias uh, pulled off in the first Watchmen, but. But like everyone else there that heard it, Sans Rorschach said, well, that sucks, but we do have a global peace. And they're mm-hmm. using this psychic squids. They're using their, their you know, high altitude bombing psychic squids just to fuck with people and keep it going. Or uh, it's entirely possible, putting on our Rogan hats, that you could have some kind of runaway natural phenomenon with the genetically engineered squid in the environment. Life finds a way. Jeff Goldblum. I've got a third option for et cetera. you. Yes. Uh, Vite, Ozymandias, mm-hmm. needed to provide reminders for people in order to keep up the peace that he established at the end of uh, Watchmen mm-hmm. with his hoax. Uh, and so he has somehow been dumping squids so it's neither so it's not so the, the difference there between option one is the governments aren't in on it they still right. sincerely they don't think know what's up they're interdimensional but yeah. Vite is you know he's he's accelerating the timeline because his play is being written and his beginning is his end is just beginning yeah all these questions i don't know and i guess doing so while he's officially disappeared and proclaimed right. dead now. Makes it look like all this Rorschach stuff about the journal and his complicity in this stuff 
would be impossible because where's Adrian? Like mm. he's dead mm. and this shit's still happening. Mm. Yeah, that actually sell maybe sells it even more. Right, right. Yeah, I like that. Who knows? We'll we'll find out more, I'm sure. So Angela arrives back at the scene of the crime. Uh, Looking Glass gives Angela the details of the chief's death and lightly interrogates her at the same time. And then a couple of flying reporters fall out of the sky and they take the chief down out of the tree. I glossed over a lot. But. Yeah. No, I think it's an interesting world building detail that they don't have drones in this universe. So they have, you know, uh, what journalists. What they call moths. Yeah, moths. Uh, the, the, in, in a very a costume very reminiscent of the, the Mothman. Mm-hmm. Um the the one just shockingly landing on the hood of their car and then seeing him tased out of the sky it's, and just and just shaking and gyrating on the hood the whole time yeah his wings I mean, this, are still this is, flapping it's this is some of the unintentional not, not unintentional I'm sure it's intentional mm-hmm. comedy but also kind of like just the fun of like you never can go five minutes without mm-hmm. the ground shifting beneath you in, in Watchmen universe um, but you know also looking glass uh, taking his mask up and eating is a uh, a Watchmen reference because that's how Rorschach would prefer to eat his beans mm-hmm. uh, or whatever else he was he was noshing on because uh, that's the thing is like um, I guess we should explain to some people that because there's a lot of people that are watching this that haven't read the comics and or haven't even seen the movie let alone read the comics but one of the things you have to understand about Rorschach is he's at time of like the end of the Watchmen is he's borderline a homeless person yeah like streets, sleets, uh, he in fact that's his alter ego is a homeless person that's just kind of deranged that holds this the end is nice sign up. Mm. He's often remarked about how bad he stinks because he never takes a shower. Um, so he's always eating like cold baked beans right out of the can and just like you know he doesn't he's anytime he can get protein and calories he's shoving it in his mouth. So I don't know why they continue to draw these explicit lines between Looking Glass and Rorschach. Yeah. Um, not even that, just his speaking patterns. Um, he also, in the way he's like, you know, questioning Angela. Uh, you, you mentioned like light interrogation, but it was, you know, he's he's asking some pointed questions there. Like maybe he's uncompromising in his pursuit of justice. I, I think he's interrogating her to find out whether he should interrogate her further. Like <laughs> that's kind of why I call it <laughs> a light interrogation. interrogation. Yeah. yeah. Because because when he interrogates, I get the feeling he can interrogate pretty hard. Yeah, and uh, an interrogation hors d'oeuvre, if you will. Yeah, but uh, I I'm not sure where they're going to Looking Glass and Rorschach because it seems like he is true blue for the police force and against the white supremacists. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. Yeah, we'll get more info on that. Uh, the other thing is there seems to be a baton being passed to Angela, whether she wants it or not, that she mm-hmm. is seen as de facto in charge. The people yeah. are. Maybe not willingly, maybe they're not happy about it, but they are, in fact, ceding control and decision-making powers to her. Mm-hmm. Kind of, sort of, because she doesn't, they don't, don't really listen to her when it comes to, like, not kicking over the, the hornet's nest that is True. Nixonville, but... Yeah. Now, we'll see um, how the leadership shapes up, because it's my understanding, after reading some of the, the pedophiles, uh, that the leadership of the police are required legally not to... Uh, conceal their identity right which is why the chief wasn't concealing his yeah we speculated that on successfully uh last week on that yeah yeah um and that's been confirmed so i'm i'm curious to see how the leadership shapes up because they need somebody in in an official capacity and that person would have to give up their anonymity yeah yeah could be interesting. Ooh, yeah. She has to unretire. Yeah, yeah. I'm wondering. They're kind of building roads of that too, with the implication that Senator Keene already knows she's not retired. 
or yeah he he plays it off as like oh i didn't know that but right yeah no you it's, you're, you're, spo- you're supposed to notice and we mm. did so yeah. uh and then we kind of transition from this she's she's kind of holding him to pull him down from the tree and we flash back to white knight uh it's christmas eve cal wants to open his gift this is like two years ago i think uh, Angel tries to convince him to wait until morning when the two, all of a sudden, two 7K members break into their house and attack. She's shot and she awakens in the hospital three days later to find the chief watching over her. Uh, he says Cal's fine and he describes this attack um, where, unfortunately, the the family of her partner and her partner were killed, uh, though their kids did survive hiding in the closet. And the entire police force is apparently resigned, but Angela and the chief both refused to quit. Yeah, this is where... So we f- saw that Angela and Calvin had this big multicultural family mm-hmm. of adopted children, and now we understand, without being explicitly told, that uh, these are all children of slain officers from the White Knight. Yeah. Um, we it's also really found out that Angela, here. even before she started wearing dressing up as Sister Knight, was a stone cold badass because yeah. the way, you know, there's <laughs> this very sweet scene and seductive scene of Angela and Calvin flirting over Christmas Eve stuff. And I'm curious about what's in that box. Mm-hmm. What's that big thing that by? Will that actually be relevant to a plot or no? Head. Uh, but but the, she goes from doing that to instantly kind of like combat rolling. Uh, she's very focused, cutting in the lights. Uh, throwing a fireplace implement at him, Jurassic parking, uh, Velociraptoring in the kitchen and disarming him. And yeah. if there was only one assailant, she would have been vi- completely victorious as it was. She almost got cut in half by a shotgun blast. But um, the question we have out of the scene is who was the second gunman? Yeah. Popular and- theories include Judd. Mm-hmm. Um, is that an interesting theory in light of the fact that Judd is dead? I, I think so. I, I wouldn't say it's completely uninteresting. I mean, this, so the, there's the still a lot they there, could do with that. The parallel there is the comedian dies in the first scene mm-hmm. of Watchmen, and yet we find he is relevant to a plot in like right. many different decades and through many different characters' lives. And so given it, that they a, find you know his secret identity in his closet this yep. episode, just like they did with the comedian at the and beginning the badge of Watchmen. With the blood kind of almost identifies Judd as the comedian of right. this story. So it wouldn't surprise me if, like this episode, mm. Judd is very much present. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't know because also the comedian is a pretty fucking complicated character in the Watchmen mm. graphic novels. Um, I mean, he's certainly an antagonist or an anti-hero. Like, he's a worse version of the Punisher, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, I, I'm don't. i wondering where they're going to go. Like, is, is Judd really a racist? Is he trying to play both sides for his own advancement? Is this, like, uh, is this a kind of cynical political ploy? Like, what is, what is his real deal? All good questions. But so what is so what what do you think uh, percent likelihood that is Judd that's behind the, that second mask? Uh, thirty percent. Really? Pretty yeah, low. I'm, 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 I'm leaning toward low. no. Who do you think? Do you have a more likely candidate? No, the 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 more I guess the more likely scenario I see after this episode, yeah, is that um it was Hooded Justice who came in and saved Angela in that moment, right? Um, but then but, he also but it doesn't explain of one body, but not two. 
Also, we don't know where Calvin is. Sure, I'm not sure. saying Calvin and, like and put it also, on a mask, but it like doesn't where... explain why this uh, menacing 7K guy was just holding a shotgun up to her, yeah. sort of just looking at her, yeah. without blowing her away. Yeah. Um, there, there's a lot of questions. It also doesn't explain the transition. We go directly from this scene to Judd waking up, all from Angela's like, not from her POV, but like from the shooter's POV to mm -hmm. her POV of Judd. It kind of there's a lot of transitional connects stuff. The, those two things, yeah. Yeah, so it, it, maybe it's more like 40%. I don't know. Judd, Judd is not a completely unlikely candidate. The thing is, is if Judd is the guy behind the mask, he is just off the charts cold-blooded mm -hmm. in how he's able to deal with her three days later. Yeah. Um, but that might be part of his character. It could be. Uh, I like the explanation here. Uh, they, they don't really explain it so much as insinuate that... So this entire police force has refused to do their jobs mm -hmm. at this point. They're all resigning. Every single one of them, apparently. Yeah, fuck this. I don't, I don't, I don't know how they came back and did anything about the 7k but it seems to imply that the only people willing to stand up with the stakes to stand up to the 7k were the the black people of of the area and that's why this police force is so predominantly black hmm. because if you get all the cops quitting because they're scared for their lives and their motive the only people who would step up are the people who are already fucking scared for their and lives, the ones right? that are being targeted by the, if if the seven yeah. cavalry wins and gets their way yeah no that exactly. makes a lot of sense too it does make a lot of sense and, and they do it with they do it very economically yeah in the scene uh then we go back to the crime scene and modern day they've uh decided they're gonna round up everyone in nixonville for questioning of course it turns into a skirmish when they go to do that and despite disagreeing with their methods, Angela gets roped into it and takes out a bit of her anger on one of the attackers. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, you know, when you look at Nixonville, there's a lot of poor white people in miserable conditions here. And it's probably a good bet. Uh, anytime there's some racial animosity or seven cavalry is involved, that Nixonville is also involved. Mm -hmm. But clearly, I don't think anyone would suggest that everyone in Nixonville is guilty. Right. Um, and you think about, like, every time the cops do something like this, there's a few more residents of Nixonville that are radicalized and are mm -hmm. thinking about putting on the fucking Rorschach masks, right? Yeah. In exact the same way that, like, you know, uh, similar campaigns of terror, of, uh, uh, police terror have radicalized other communities. It's like, you know, it's it's easy to imagine this uh, this happening and how counterproductive it is. It's, it's, uh, it's not good police work. Mm -hmm. I also want to point out in this scene... Um, they they are playing with you know callbacks to Watchmen, uh, the, the comic, and the movie, but they're not always playing with them consistently, character to character, because mm -hmm. there is a moment here where you've got Red up on the car shouting through a megaphone to this, you know, what I guess you could sort of call a restless mob. Mm -hmm. They're they're a little more restful in this uh, right. than they were in the comic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But somebody throws a bottle at him. Mm -hmm. It hits the car, and that is exactly what happened with the comedian. Right. Uh, in the original, so they're kind of playing fast and loose with who they point the comedian cannon at. Uh. So so, you know, take everything you see with a grain of salt. I guess when you're assigning like who is and who isn't. Sure. An, an analog for a character in the book. Good point. Um. And also Angela, even though she acknowledges that this shit is quote unquote unnecessary, is not above an unnecessary amount of beating down to subdue yeah. a person who <laughs> tries to take a swing at her in looking glass. I do love Red's line about uh, 
get kicking the shit out of or beating the shit out of these fucks or something uh-huh, like that. Uh-huh. Yeah, whatever he says, it's really good. When someone calls him a Nazi, he's like, I'm not a Nazi, I'm a communist. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then Angela takes Will's mug over to Greenwood Center for Cultural Heritage, where she tested to see if he's eligible for red predations. We're given a history lesson about Black Wall Street. That's kind of the whole scene here. Uh, on second watch, I didn't think this was as as over the top with the history lesson as I did on first watch. Hmm. Maybe because I was prepped for it. But it is like a good two minutes mm-hmm. of what is essentially an in-world history lesson here and an out-world history lesson. Uh, no, I, like a like real I said, world history I, I lesson. Felt it, I felt like it did a good job of portraying what it was supposed to be, which is this mm-hmm. kind of, you know... Uh, focus group tested message to you know express a proper amount of contrition but also some hope for reconciliation and patriotism and Mm -hmm. even with the ending with the battle hymn the republic which a lot of people don't know like it's today it's like this kind of generic super patriotic song Uh, but it was written during the civil war um, and it's a it's a pro-abolitionist uh, like recalling, you know, that we're fighting for men's freedom. It cites John Brown, which is one of the uh, early uh, white people fighting for abolition uh, that got killed. Uh, one of the first kind of casualties of the Civil War. And uh, like ending that is even kind of a nice touch. Um mm. So I also liked that the protesters around it was very, very reminiscent to like abortion clinic protesters, Mm -hmm. you know, the things they're saying and the way they are trying to like keep shame and public scorn on the people that are making use of the service, uh, making them feel guilty for something that's otherwise legal, I thought was an interesting parallel too. Um, But I also wondered because it's called the, you know, there was something in this, uh, the treasure of the United States message that made it seem like that maybe this uh, uh, this cultural center is not the only one. Okay. Um, and because he said something about like, this is a place you can get for referendations for the Tesla race riots. There's something in there that implied that maybe there were others, hmm. but this is this one and this is how you get tested for this particular one. Yeah, could be. Here are the highlights coming up this week on Bald Move. All new Pulp and Prestige this week. On Tuesday, we'll cover the latest episode of The Walking Dead, The Ones Who Live on Pulp. And on Thursday, we'll catch up with the latest Samurai subterfuge on FX Hulu's Shogun. Then on our House of the Dragon feed, Anthony puts on his Maester's class on Monday. And then on Thursday, Steve joins him for Electric Bookaloo as they continue their discussion of George R. R. Martin's A Clash of Kings. Find these and many of our other great podcasts by searching for Bald Move Pulp or Prestige in your favorite podcast app. Not a lot else to talk about there, so we'll move on to Angela's kid's grandfather is how I'm interpreting this. Uh, is it? Well, we know that both of their parents were killed, and, and that this guy is... gets visitation rights. Well, I don't... Okay, then not all these kids are from the same parents, though. Because there's two kids that are just, like, straight up white, and Topher looks like he's Polynesian or something like that. Um, hmm. Asian, like, he's not... Like, I don't, I don't think Could he's... Could be an adopted kid. I think they're all. I mean, I think they're the. I think she's taken in more. She's taken in kids from more than one Slade families. Uh, they haven't so? said that, but well, like, well, because in when the when he talks about the kids hiding in the closet mm-hmm. during the White Night, it was Topher and two girls, uh, which is the exact number of children and the exact uh, alignment of sexes. Maybe I read that. Maybe I read that wrong. Um, but I thought. 
Yeah, I guess so. Plus, he's the, that's the right age, being the grandfather. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I'm assuming it is. I, I'm open to being corrected on that. But he's sitting on her porch when she gets home, and she writes him a check in exchange for his day with the kids. Uh, Cal then asks about arresting the old man, and she said she didn't do it because he didn't kill the chief. She's pretty sure about that. Uh, he tells her that uh, Jane, who's Judd's widow, is having people over tonight, and she should go. What do you think they're doing with their this grandfather or father, this this Jim Beaver character? Um, I was wondering that because you don't really hire Jim Beaver for a one-off. Yeah, you scene. certainly don't. Uh, and she's he, he says or she says you're not allowed to be here, and he's like you're not allowed to withhold visitation. So there's a complicated mm-hmm. relationship here. Of, there is. There's some kind of restraining order, but yeah, he still has visitation. Um, He's, you know, makes a bunch of snide, snide remarks about her red predations. I wonder if, if he's the grandfather, if, um, if, and if these kids are perhaps the biracial, if he's like just an out and out racist and he's using these kids as extortion or I don't know. Could be it's a very weird, weird relationship that we don't know enough about. Yeah, he's he seems uh, pretty well in the racist camp, mm-hmm. or or at least in the camp that doesn't like red predations, right? For whatever reason, racism. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he, it's got to irk him probably that the children went to this family, right? Right. So he's probably taking the opportunity. He knows he's not supposed to be here. He's just sticking it to him. Yeah. And seems like a real asshole. Yeah. I mean, it's like also like, I wonder why this day, because from his perspective, he did, no one knows about the chief yet. So this is just a day Mm -hmm. to him. And, and I wonder if there's something like this. Is he regularly visit with these kids or is this something like he hasn't been around for a while? Like, I, I wish I knew more about the background of the the character. Um, the only people who would know about the chief at this point are a, the police, but b the person who did it. Sure. Person or people who Holy did it. Holy shit. Jim Beaver killed. Yeah. Judd. I like it. Yeah. I don't see any evidence. And he is also Ozymandias. <laughs> Who is, of course, Doctor Manhattan, <laughs> right? Reconstituted as uh, uh-huh. Jeremy Irons. You take you take Jim Beaver's pants off, big blue dick, big just telling biggest you. and bluest that you can find. Uh, another little nice world building. Uh, we mentioned this in the um, preview podcast, but Cal playing ghost pirates with the kids is indicative of this world being obsessed with uh. like pirates uh and like kind of horror horror pirate stories mm-hmm. um as opposed to like the avengers or uh comic book characters or things like that like pirates are as big as this were in this world <laughs> as batman and robin are in our own and yet i guess 30 years on it's starting to come back around to superheroes right yeah the fa- fascination these mass vigilantes yeah but is, i almost see that that, that might show. be people might be people might so in universe, I could see people like saying that's weird. It's like um, because they don't see them as superheroes; they see them as these mask vigilantes. Mm-hmm. It'd be like trying to say that like football players are superheroes because they're large and strong and they compete against each other, uh, you know, for good and evil. Kind of like that's like no, that's just a sport. Like this is a, it's it's a, it's its own separate genre, but it's completely different from what happened in in our world. You know, with the fantastic powers, it's more of a mask vigilante than it is like uh, superheroes imply fantastic powers. Gotcha. Um, and again, I have to point out, everyone here is asserting that Manhattan is on Mars. Mm-hmm. Is this true? Is this somehow an Aussie trick? His castle is showing up everywhere, being destroyed left and right. I guess we can do that scene right now. Uh, Angela tells Topher that his uncle quote-unquote uncle judd is dead 
Uh, he doesn't seem all that shaken up because policemen die and he wasn't really his uncle anyway, as he says. Uh, Topher says he'll tell Rosie and Emma tomorrow and then smashes the model he was working on and asks to watch TV. Uh, you're missing a real conspiracy about Manhattan on Mars. There's a simultaneous squid rain on both Olympus Mons and the Mariner Trench. Right? Mariner Valley, Val's Mariner. I don't know. Like peaks and valleys? No, nah, I was just trying to make a like a Martian-wide squid attack joke. Like that's the, you know, it's a coordinated <sighs> squid attack. Uh, landed Sorry, landed flat head. and sticky like a storm of squids. Uh, <laughs> that one I get. Did we mention we mentioned this in the instant cast? But like this guy, kid is making a magnetic castle uh, that is a replica of Ozymandias's current hideout. It seems like, uh-huh. which is also what Doctor Manhattan was making on Mars the other day. And uh, they both conspicuously smash them after yeah, we see them after building them which is in- and and i noticed on second through that this mat this magnetic mat he's playing with is called something like magnetic hatton or something it's like a dr manhattan kind of playset huh or it's like you're supposed okay. to, it's kind of like you know it, it's it's branded that way anyway um, i don't know if it's der- matt and derived technology or it's just a uh, you know floating castle kind of stuff isn't that stuff illegal <sighs> i don't know it's or, like well, a, it's starting to be reintroduced, I guess. Yeah. So maybe yeah. like toys are the first place the Manhattan technology sure, is allowed, where wanna, right? That's yeah. where you want to put like, untested We're going to bring technology. back lead paint. It's uh-huh. only going to be on kids' toys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I would kill for a toy like that, but... Oh, uh, hell yeah. Who it, wouldn't? It just seems so fucking cool, and I, I can't imagine we can't do that. Would you have both your parents die for a, a toy like that? Because that's the actual deal. Probably not. <laughs> Depends how how cool the toy is. <laughs> All right. Uh, everyone's watching American Hero Story, and we're treated to part of an episode which is about a circus strongman who's killed, and we get like a hooded justice voiceover saying, they think that's me, it's not me. Um, and he goes in, and uh, he thwarts a robbery in a grocery store. And there's a, then a voiceover about anger and identity that transitions back to Angela showing up at Jane's gathering where Senator Joaquin gives Angela his condolences and offers whatever support they need to get the perpetrators. Angela says, oh, I'm not a cop anymore. And then she faints. She's taken upstairs where she quickly recovers, conspicuously recovers, and begins searching for the skeletons in Judd's closet. And she finds them in, a form, in the form of a set of KKK robes hidden in a secret compartment. That's a lot to talk about. I know. Uh, so Muller, Rolf Muller, is the name of this German strongman. Uh, uh, now, the reason that's significant is in the Watchmen comic book, uh, the original Night Owl wrote a memoir, which I think is called Un- Behind the Hood or Beneath the Hood. Yeah. It's something like that where he tells his recollections and he speculates on who he thinks Hooded Justice is, and he mentions that he thinks he's a... Um, a circus strongman named Rolf Muller. Mm. Uh, and he also mentions that uh, uh, this guy had, or the, when he spoke to Hood of Justice, that he had some private remarks that were, that Hollis took as endorsing Nazi Germany. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, because obviously if Hood of Justice is, you know, the 105 year old black man in present day, like why would this guy be stomp, stumping for Nazi Germany? But, I wonder if it was like a lost in translation thing and that yeah. he was actually talking about like German imperial German propaganda from World War One. Like he was trying to tell Hollis that and Hollis just got confused and heard German and Nazi. And sure. 
I, I wonder. There's also a possibility that there are actually two hooded justices, you know, that there yeah. is a one that is the original, uh, perhaps, that uh, was fighting for justice in Tulsa, and then, like, a copycat that was just... Uh, I mean, that that's another kind of interesting thing about American life is that things that are popularized by African-Americans... Uh, get appropriated by white people like Elvis Presley mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, go on to much larger fame and acclaim and fortune than the the forebears. So yeah. I wonder if this is an Elvis stealing rhythm and blues kind of thing that like a white guy co-opted Hooded Justice um, and then the black guy got forgotten about. Hmm. Lots of different directions they could take that. Yeah, for sure. Um, they also, there's, okay, so there's the other thing that's interesting is the Hooded Justice's, I guess this is his debut, is October, around October 30th, 1938, because that's the night of Orson Welles' famous War of the Worlds radio drama, um, which is the newsboy in the very beginning of this American hero story is holding up a newspaper talking about, oh, you know, how it caused huh. hysteria in the, okay. the, the listening area. And that's interesting because it ties back to Watchmen's, you know, fake alien attack that Ozymandias uh, unleashed. Mm. Yeah. And it might tie into the drama that Ozymandias is working on now. Um, I think it's just also an interesting commentary about this guy who says, I don't have a safe. I don't have a safe. He's willing to die and let other people in the store die. And when and clearly we see that there is a safe under there, uh -huh. you know, there's some commentary about money being more worth more than people's lives. Um, and they're also Lindelof's playing with the oh, the, the storytelling aspect of this. Like, oh, I can't give you all the information right now because why would you continue watching? Right. So, you know, trickling out the mystery. Right. What do you think they're doing with uh, this Joe Keen Jr., the, the senator? Man. Uh, so his dad again passed the original Keen Act that required yeah. all mass vigilantes to give up their. Uh, public identities and retire or accept official work from the U.S. government. Mm. Um, and there's some information in the PD files that state that the Defense of Police Act that uh, authorized policemen to wear masks, uh, they had to mend that original uh, the legislation to allow that to happen. Mm -hmm. um, I never got the idea that Keen at the, in the old series was some kind of like old conservative uh, kind of Southern racist type, but they're... Mm -hmm tying i think the new keen into that like that this guy um uh, just hearing the newspaper guy talk about it seems like you know and and the way that the far-right conservative radio host was talking about keen in the radio program that uh, judd was you know, listening to on the night he got killed it's like there's mm -hmm. there's something there and the fact that he's nefariously knows the identity the true identity of angela there's a lot of i don't know a lot of this guy smells like fish Going going around. Plus, he's Bob Benson from yeah, Mad Men. Right, that doesn't do him any favors. Uh, Maybe even more more of a stink on him than was on Judd, because I like I I can't point to the thing that told me before you know finding the KKK of it. Mm -hmm. uh, the Judd was some kind of bad guy in disguise, but something about the way he acted told me that. I'm I'm definitely getting the same vibe off of this one scene with yeah. Keen. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about is in the intro to the American Hero story, they show various scenes of like cops watching it, like looking glass is sitting in front of this sad looking microwave dinner to eat it uh, and watch American uh, Heroes. The Seventh Cavalry are preparing. Looks like explosive vests. Mm -hmm. 
or something like that. Um, yeah. Wonder what they're planning for next episode. Something Can- exploding. Cancer bombs. Yeah, cancer bombs. Ooh, mm-hmm. yeah, they're gonna pack pack those vests full of. Uh, I mean, maybe if you're to Manhattan believe. batteries and yeah, I still don't believe him. I think he's a bad guy and he's lying. Mm. Uh, there's there is just so much to talk about in this because this the scene ends on a transition from this painting, which is a painting called Comanche Feats of Horsemanship by George Callan. It's from 1834. And it was, it was capturing the, the, the maneuver that the Comanche uh, horse riders were able to pull off where they sort of hid behind their horses and used them as a shield during battles. Uh, and, and sort of attacked from behind that shield. Yeah, they could shoot arrows from behind there. They could yeah, throw spears. spears. Right. They um, can quickly mount so they're facing the opposite direction. Um, mm-hmm. They can do all kinds of cool things that seem like it'd be very, very good in mobile, fast-paced horseback combat. And it seems a pretty obvious illusion to draw to Judd, um, saying he was sort of using the, the police badge as his shield to do all these other acts of war. Um, because if, conspicuously, the name of the episode is not Comanche Feats of Horsemanship. It's Martial Feats of Comanche Horsemanship, which ties a war element to this. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you look at what's shaping up here and the 7K officially declaring a war at the beginning of this thing um, and where Judd's head was at, you kind of get the impression that he's thinking in those terms. So well, I think that's the obvious illusion, but there's something deeper here that I can't quite get at. There's also a connection to this painting um, smoothly cutting to Ozymandias riding a horse on his estate. Sure. Um, also, did you do any research about the horse Comanche? Horse Comanche? So there is a horse named Comanche, which was famously the only surviving horse of the Battle of Little Bighorn. Okay, I and know I didn't read this. So yeah, so the so I, apparently this is a misnomer because people have found out that like there were other horses that survived, but the Indians took them all. Spoils of war. So, but Comanche was in really bad shape. Was badly wounded and so badly wounded that uh, uh, the uh, Native Americans didn't bother with with taking him off. Um, and the remnants of the Seventh Cavalry found the horse and nursed it back to health, and he became kind of like a mascot. In fact. He, upon his death, like 15 to 20 years later, he was stuffed and he's mounted in a museum still. Um, and people are, there, there was some thought that like there is a parallel between Sister Knight, who is one of the few lone survivors of this other massacre in Comanche. Mm-hmm. Um, that there's, there's something like that. Also, um, it could be um, a sly to, or, or a sly nod to Dr. Manhattan and Mars. Um, that you've got this transition to uh, uh, Ozymandias per- perhaps riding. So have you seen this theory that like all this stuff in Ozymandias land is taking place in some kind of Martian prison mm-hmm. that uh, Dr. Manhattan has constructed? This and, is and hugely speculative in my opinion. Hugely speculative. But, here's the evidence. Let me, let, but, let, but it's actually pretty intriguing. It's, it's inter- it's, here's an intricate chain of evidence. Yeah. Dr. Manhattan looks like he's making a replica mm-hmm. of Ozymandias' home on Mars. And no one knows when or where the Ozymandias plot line has taken place. <laughs> Thus, the theory uh, that Doctor Manhattan be. is constructed this theory. But this is also another piece of subtle evidence that, like Marshall mm-hmm. uh, feats, are is a play on Martian, like it's it's of Mars. 
I, I mean, yeah, it's pretty thin stuff. It's, it's but it's also the kind of stuff that like this is the internet being crazy and picking at the one thread that's going to be true. I've got some more supporting evidence for that crazy theory. Hit me. I was thinking about it, and it seems to me that uh, Ozymandias, or uh, he's called the blonde man, but I'm, we're just going to call him Ozzy, mm-hmm. uh, has a disdain for the the uh, clones that he's been saddled with. Implying perhaps they're not his clones, but mm. Ozymandias' clone, or sorry, uh, Dr. Manhattan's clones, mm-hmm. because we know that Dr. Manhattan was going to play with creating life. Uh, maybe he's not that great at it. Th- there's there's the potential for this whole play to be some sort of sympathy, or, or I guess empathy play created for Dr. Manhattan so that he would let Jeremy Irons out of this prison. Mm. Uh, I, I think I think there is something to it. I just don't know how far down the rabbit hole I'm willing to go until we get some yeah, kind of evidence. Yeah, it's episode two. Well, I'm, I'm going to follow right. the rabbit a foot down his hole, and then I'm going to yeah. be like, I want to see, I want to see if this rabbit comes. I want to, I want to observe the goings and comings of this uh, rabbit before I delve further. Sure, you don't know how many rabbits are down there. Hell no, I, I'm not going to go down here and there's a squad of heavily armed <laughs> rabbits, 200 strong. Uh huh. Doors and corners, people. You got to check them. <laughs> Uh, let's also connect this to Bass Reeves. How about that? Okay, do it. Uh, so who's Bass Reeves? So, so Bass people. Reeves, if you recall, the opening of the first episode is the character that's portrayed in that silent film. Yeah, he's the one uh, that he's rescues the, the black the town. marshal. Uh, uh, you know, the first black marshal west of the Mississippi. Um, he was famous for being a master of disguise. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was also spent a lot of time with Native Americans. Uh, knew their languages and was hired basically for that reason. Now you bring in this painting with the the Comanche horsemanship. Mm-hmm. I start to immediately think Bass Reeves. I start to think Will. I start mm. to think he's got some kind of cover, right? He's clearly not who he says he is. He's yeah. using that image as a shield. Yeah. Perhaps using the wheelchair as a as a shield for his true identity, right? Yeah. The fact that he can you know string up a two hundred pound dude. He doesn't need that wheelchair. Yeah, and you could see... Get those pills in him? <laughs> right. He'll pick up a scalding hot wheelchair, <laughs> throw it at you. Yeah, nah, no harm no harm done. Yeah, so there, there are connections there, too. Like I said, I'm sort of up in the air on thematically what this means, because all, all of the interpretations I've seen of this have been very literal. Mm-hmm. Like... Or or very close to literal. Like, oh, the police chief using his badge as a shield, just like the horses. That's a little too literal for me when you're talking about Lindelof storytelling, mm-hmm. but we'll see as that unfolds. Can I? Can I know this is this? We've already way in the weeds, and we're not even halfway through this episode. That's fine. Can, can I introduce a little bit of supplementary information before you go on to the Ozymandias stuff? Let's do it. Uh, so Andrew from our Instant Talk podcast mentioned that you know Ozymandias eats these tomatoes off a tree. Mm. And he says, tomatoes on a tree is a strange fruit. Strange fruit was a Billie Holiday song about lynching in the South. Is there any there there? And I did some research. So, like, if you're not familiar with the strange fruit song, it's this really haunting song about the fact, you know, um, these black bodies swinging from the poplar trees. And there's a lot of, like, really horrific imagery about lynching in it. It's also sampled by Kanye West in his song Blood on the Leaves, uh, which was from his Yeezus album. Uh, and I did some digging, just just some research, because I thought this was interesting. That Billie Holiday was ruined by the FBI. They didn't want her playing the song because it was very inflammatory and it riled up audiences. And they ruined her via persecution of her illegal drug 
uh, uh, use of illegal drugs because she wouldn't stop mm. singing. Um, you know, bankrupted her, um, uh, lost her all of her performing licenses. This is a common tactic that was done through for for black entertainers across the country. It's like you know, hey, we know these guys are you know, uh, smoking weed and trading heroin. So let's just really crack down on that. Even, you know, before we had a, uh, you know, a DEA, uh, as a way to yeah. silence these activists. And obviously this has, if, if they intended this strange fruit to be a, a parallel, there's a lot of interesting ones there. Um, also before we go, uh, the Ozymandias calls his horse Bicephalus, mm -hmm. which is the horse of Alexander the great. Yeah. So okay. just just now now you can I mean talk. he's got an obsession with uh, powerful people, kings of kings. Yeah. We this will also much. be relevant to the some of the PD file stuff too. Yeah. So Okay, yeah, let's get to that scene. The the blonde man, Ozymandias in the castle, picks on a tomato off a tree, smashes it with his teeth and his hands. Uh the anniversary celebration happens again, and then a highly dramatized recreation of the night John became Doctor Manhattan is performed as uh, the blonde man watches. He congratulates all the performers who are all copies of Miss Crookshanks and Mr. Phillips. Uh, we we did note uh, some, someone in the uh, instant take said that there are two candles on the cake now mm -hmm. instead of one, which was in the first episode, implying that this is perhaps the second performance of this play. Um, and it's also, you know, insinuated this has been done before because this, he says this time do it with real tears. Uh, th this is perhaps only the second time it's taken place. Maybe it's hard to say. You just got you, you're right on that. You've got the the suggestion. There's two candles suggest a passage of time. Yeah. Um, or an iteration in a sequence. Yeah. But this scene is so utterly fucking bizarre that it's almost impossible to say otherwise. Um, yeah. And but it, I mean the big question that it has me asking at the end is. To what end? Mm -hmm. what, what is this play all about? This is sort of why I was thinking it might be some kind of empathy trigger for Dr. Manhattan if he's in some kind of prison because showing John the moment of his creation uh -huh. uh, or Dr. Manhattan the moment of his creation would probably be the most likely thing to trigger a human response from him, right? Yeah. I mean, who's to say? It's like that's what. The, how do you reach Doctor Manhattan? It's, yeah. it's 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 impossible. It also could be something of um, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see where he's going. Like, what act is this of the five act play? Um, wh why he thinks it's important to do? Uh, why does he have to like actually kill some of his cloned servants? I suppose. Mm -hmm. um, what does it have to do with the? Because because even the f candle one, uh, he. That, that Mr. Phillips gives him the watch and says, I just repaired this. Um, is this something that's happened even before the first candle? Uh, like, like was he burning these guys as some kind of test? Uh, what, what, why did the, I, I've got so many questions about what actually is going on. Um, yeah, why so are these, like, what is wrong with these clones that uh, yeah. the, there, there's like these stagehands are all wearing masks. You all find out that they're all Mrs. Crookshanks and Mr. Phillips's, but they all have different names. And he asked one of them, you yeah. know, Hey, do you want to be the new Mr. Phillips? And the guy's like, Oh, it'd be an honor. He was just on stage watching the other guy burn alive. Mm -hmm. The other guy seems like as soon as the flames turns on, he was like shocked and like, you know, like he was like screaming for his master to save him or whatever. Like, what is the deal with these, these people? Are they people? Is that a performance? Yeah. I, I don't know. 
It's, uh, a, it's a good question. Uh, they're clearly made of some kind of flesh-like material sure. because they burn. They burn just like a yeah. human body would. Yeah, there's there weren't like circuits and mechanics exposed. It was all just burnt meat. And I guess. So he doesn't say. It's interesting because when you know they take that body out of that chamber, he says you know put it in the basement with the others, but he says others with an S, implying that this is not the first time. Because as far sure. as I'm aware, only one body burns in that chamber. Yeah, and we uh, know because he said you want to see real tears. So like, yeah, but, but no, but I'm saying not even the first one that the not even the one candle version is the first one. Yeah, because there wouldn't be others. Yeah, there yeah, would yeah. be an, another. There'd be another. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I thought, but, was... but what is what is the use of the corpses? The the here here's the best theory I've seen, yeah. but it's a follow on from the imprisonment theory. Yep, uh, is that this is some kind of plan for him to escape, similar to the way that uh, the Black Freighter storyline took place, where he's strapped together the corpses of his uh, fallen shipmates and he created a raft out of them, uh, used that to get corpses. Home. Yeah, right. And that this is somehow part of his plan to strike up some empathy within Dr. Manhattan or otherwise draw attention to the fact that he's in prison mm-hmm. and have someone let him out. Yeah. Or he's not, if, if not imprisoned, because uh, that wasn't the actual state of the guy who's the protagonist of Black. He was, he was isolated. Room. So, yeah. yeah, he could just be he's stuck somewhere. Maybe... Uh, mm-hmm. Like metaphorically, he's been me- messing with interdimensional things, and he's stuck in some kind of pocket dimension. Mm-hmm. Um, how seen... would the corpses? How, how do you use corpses to get out of that? Like, I... right? I, I've seen, you know, uh, he's stuck in a simulation. I, I've seen every possible theory under the sun. So this is the other one because I, I was about to say because uh, you know there, I know there's a lot of people who feel lost, um, not seeing or have not being familiar with the Watchmen before and are just here because of Lindelof and, and the, the leftovers. I mean, I really recommend watching the Zack Snyder movie. Yeah. It's not mm-hmm. an entirely faithful, but like you're going to get 90% of what you need to know as far as the characters and the history of the Watchmen. And I would say don't bother with that ultimate cut. It's an extra hour of the, stuff that's the, sort of redundant. Right. And the only thing you'll get is like the Black Freighter stuff. And the summary of that is like, this is just a parallel story about a pirate adventure where this guy gets marooned and he kind of goes delirious from isolation and grief because he is uh, obsessed with the idea of this black freighter, the ship that attacked him and marooned him is heading to his home port and is going to kill everyone in the town he loves and his wife and his children. And he has a single minded goal of going there and preventing it from happening and in his obsession with vengeance, he actually ends up be losing his mind and doing the very thing he worries about, which is going to his hometown and killing a whole bunch of people, including his family. Yep. And then he's damned. And the last scene is of him kind of wandering off in the ocean, being picked up by the black freighter. But my understanding is that he just committed suicide or he, he died there. Um, but it's a tale of like, you know, vengeance too far and doing mm-hmm. something that you think is good, but actually ends up blowing up in your face. Yep. And that all parallels Ozymandias' uh, uh, kind of journey through the plot of, of the original Watchmen. Yeah. I agree. Are we ready to move on yes. to Angela returning to the bakery? She finds the Will. The bake cave. The bake cave. Uh, she finds Will escaped from his bindings, cooking eggs. She says that uh, she found Judd's skeletons and wants to know if he's trying to set him up. Uh, Will says... Uh, He's saying a lot of words. He's not making much sense to her. He's talking. It's a very funny scene. It's a very funny scene, but you get the impression that he maybe doesn't have 
Maybe he wasn't lying about what those pills do mm. because his memory of telling her to go check the skeletons in the closet seems a little fuzzy. Or he's think, playing with it, yeah, I think buying he's, time. I It seems like the sparkle in his eye, not just here, but when he's being saved, is mm-hmm. indi- indicative of him just fucking with her. And I also think yeah. that maybe even he didn't suspect that this guy had a literal clan robe in his closet. Like, you know, and he's speaking right. metaphorical, but he had, and, and there's like that line is like, you know, I imagine there's a lot of good reasons a white man can have a clan robe in his closet. I just can't think of any right now. Uh. And, you know, him saying... Uh, uh, you know, are you accusing me of putting which 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 floor is his bedroom on? You know, I have a problem with stairs, and she's like, oh, but you can string a man up from a tree. He's like, oh yeah, yeah I did true. do that. That's true. Like, and Louis Gossett Jr. is killing it. I man, he's so good. He's having so much fun. And yeah. then um, he reminds me of doing a lot of like the having the same fun like Scott Glenn was having in the Leftovers. Uh-huh. Yeah, as uh, Kevin Kevin Senior. But um, I the, then she you know threatens him with being taken in. He's like, well, if you're gonna take me in, you would have done it by now. And anyway, if you had, I'd have been rescued anyway. I've got friends in high places. Which, haha, plays out at the end, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then uh, and there's almost like a a uh, premonition level of of something to him too because i don't know if he can hear what's being said on this phone but he very much knows exactly what is being said Mm. he's all the way across the room well if he's a former phones aren't aren't quite as loud as like cell phones are yeah yeah so i i don't know um he's also an old crime fighter and we know like hollis there's a there's a great scene uh actually uh the night owl the original night owl's death in the first watchman as he's getting beat to death by these punks, like you can tell that like he's an old man, but he still got it. Mm-hmm. If there's only been like one or three of these guys instead of like seven, he might have kicked their ass and sent them on their way. Yeah. I think that you're supposed to understand that like this guy still is pretty sharp. Like he saw her bag up the coffee cup. Yeah. Um, you know, he could kind of surmise what what she was up to, and he knew what he wanted from the, the their interactions. So. I, I don't think he's. I, I think his memory pill is a lie because, like, I think his memory is sharp. I think there's some kind of other physical thing. Because the other thing you mentioned, the boiling eggs, and I know we kind of paraphrased it, but he looked like he reaches into a boiling pot of water to pick out, or at least he a does. still hot yeah. pot. You know, there's a lot of people that the steam on, coming from it. It's real hot. There's people on the thread saying that you're supposed to let, like, after you boil eggs, you're supposed to let them sit for ten minutes, so maybe the water was hot but not scalding. There's, it's one of the things. The same thing we went through with Kevin and the leftovers, where it's yeah. like. It's plausible that a man could do all these things and not be superhuman resistance to pain, but like how many of them are you gonna you gonna see before you're like, okay, this this is too many coincidences stacking up. Those pills yeah. are insul those are asbestos pills and the man's <laughs> fireproof now. Uh, uh f- f- mid season res- uh, mid season reveal, he's a secret Targaryen. Been microdosing. <laughs> microdosing asbestos. <laughs> Yes, yes. Uh, speaking of plausibility and eggs, this, this sham bakery is ridiculous. So there's no sugar in this bakery whatsoever, right? Mm. They established that. Yep. There are no eggs either. Mm-mm. This man had to go across the fucking street to get eggs. And Angela is standing there in her bakery looking around going, where the fuck did you get eggs from? Eggs are It's hilarious thing. to me. Eggs are a thing in this season because we had Angela's cooking show last episode uh, cracking which, eggs into the bowl yeah. which someone mentioned that like when you saw the either underneath or above that that looked exactly like archie the 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 owl patrol craft of oh, Night i thought owl. it was a comedian 
happy like it was a smiley but face. it was two is two side by side with the whisk going down oh the plates yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, that, that there was like some kind of reference to that and then we have this guy doing the boiled egg routine and then mm-hmm. we end with beastie boys Eggman. Mm-hmm. the fuck is going on with the eggs i don't know i kind of took Eggman as a little tongue-in-cheek just hmm. like leaning into it yeah just pointing out having fun because he's the Eggman in this episode. I but don't they know. also, so like, I listened to the song, and there's a line towards the end where it's like, "You made the mistake and judge a man by his race. You go through life with an egg on your face." Mm-hmm. That's pretty. I mean, it's okay. tongue in cheek, but it's also pretty much it's pretty fucking on point too. I will admit to not knowing exactly what the Beastie Boys were getting at with the Eggman song. Uh huh. <laughs> so, it's like, I know half the lyrics, but right. only the fun parts. Right. Only the part right, about right. cracking eggs on people's backs, and but but. They're probably not fun in context. They're probably uh, violent I mean, it does and seem racist. Like it's just a it's just a superhero that eggs people for revenge. But mm-hmm. one of the people he's seeking revenge are saying that they should be ashamed of self as racist. So okay, you know that's uh, early Beastie Boys confusing. I, I can agree with that. Uh, they're fighting about for the rights of party. Also, doesn't seem like they're racist. No, on they're also culture, culturally appropriating uh, the black man's music. God so. damn it! You're right. There I are know. fucking levels to this game. They sure are. Holy shit! Holy shit! Uh, okay, that is the end of the episode, right? I also want to... Cl- she decides to arrest him. She stuffs him in the car. This entire car is airlifted away on a magnet right in front of her, and this propaganda flyer with the note drops into her hands. Yeah, we mentioned this on Instant Cast, but there's also a cinematic callback to the way she uh, lowered Jed or Judd to mm-hmm. the ground and the way she loads her now, we know her as, as her grandfather, into the car. is very kind of intimate and embracing. Um... Which is interesting yep. because it's like the tale of like uh, she's not sure what to think about Judd now after considering her him a mentor, mm-hmm. and now she's not sure what to think about this man after not even knowing yeah. he exists. But now you know he's saying there's this vast conspiracy, and her mentor had a clan's robe in her. And it's like a, it's also we we buried the lead here. Uh, this is a grandfather apparently. Yes, that's what the Red Fredations test told her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So pretty big deal. Yeah. Um, and he, it seems like he's sort of come back to show her who she is, uh, as much as tell her who he is. It also implies that is Angela getting refredations? Cause like I, the, the, the whole, this whole process implied to me that Angela's never gone through this before. She's never actually claimed refredations for herself, but I don't know. Mm. I mean, clearly she's eligible for them. Oh, I guess. I she guess would that's ha- a good question. Has she? Because this would. Because so the system knew that she was his grandfather, so it would have already known that she was eligible. And is the, does it know that because is like is it kind of like these genealogy sites where you start off knowing nothing and people contribute? So like as people mm-hmm. swab their DNA and as the DNA is processed, you start building these family trees. Or did the system know from like birth certificates and like you know death certificates? Like here are all the potential people, and we just need to wait for them to come forward and claim it yeah. as a living antecedent or descendant. I don't know. I, I, don't I know. haven't seen anything that indicates she has money beyond her means. Uh, this bakery, I assume, is paid for by the police force. Yeah, there's got a lot of this stuff has got to be officially paid for, you know. Yeah. And maybe she's got to really like all these retired cops that are like now mass cops. Maybe they have a little bit more pay, mm-hmm. you know, um, because of what happened to them. Yeah, I don't know. Uh-huh. It's gonna be real interesting to see how they fucking untwine all this shit. Yeah. There's a lot of inst- interesting stuff in the the PD files. 
Yeah. And maybe we should talk you about... you want to go through this? So the first one I got is the clipping from uh, a local newspaper talking about the Tulsa police chief feared slain. Mm-hmm. Um, it establishes that the White Knight happened in 2016, and the police were masked in 2017 per the Defense of Police Act. Um, also mentions that Judd Crawford, the police, uh, the chief, was required by this law to uh, uh, have transparency as part of the police department leadership, which is why he didn't wear a mask. Yeah. Um, he was also a former Marine. As you said, he served under Captain Robert S. Mueller, uh, which we know in, in our real world, he's been a, a figure of interest in the last year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, he also worked on the Elder Keene security detail and met the current Senator Keene during that. So there's already a connection to that family. Um, his wife, Jane, is a political consultant who apparently also worked for Senator Keene at one point in his career, but no longer. And they mentioned he's a fourth-generational law enforcement professional. And they uh, list out some of his previous... Uh, Great-granddaddy uh, Dixon T. Crawford, a cowboy yeah. marshal uh, from the pre-statehood years. Uh, That's his... the interesting one. Is it? Yeah, so... Is that the one Dixon, that Bass Reeves might have... Uh... Uh, no, Dixon T. Crawford. So a lot of people, well, a lot of people, at least one person on Reddit mm-hmm. pointed out that this could be Dixon Thomas. And if it is Dixon Thomas, you invert those and you have Thomas Dixon, who actually is the guy that wrote the book that inspired the Birth of the Nation film. Oh, shit. Yeah. So I think they're playing with that a little bit because also one of his relatives is named like Thomas something. Well, they also sh- didn't they show in the Tulsa uh, massacre Thomas. there was a a Klansman run around with a rifle and some persons ass- uh, asserted but I didn't have time to actually go and check that this is the same guy that's in the photograph with uh, oh. Judd. So implying that like either his granddaddy or his great granddaddy was there f- fighting on the wrong side. And that would make a lot of sense the timing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because that film the birth of a nation is the film that sort of rekindled the KKK within America, mm-hmm. um, gave them inspiration for for people to give them a new life. Um, you could maybe then extrapolate and say, okay, well, is that what Judd is trying to do here? Is he trying to rekindle the seven the seven K somehow? Mm-hmm. And why? Um, for what purpose? Yeah, because I mean, he has this history of racism uh, in his family. Yeah. He he also conspicuously came to power as chief the night the the immediately following the white knight right which ah, if that's part of the plan that engineer it if he like right maybe the plan was for him to be the only survivor and then he remakes the department in his image interesting which if you look at some of these other papers or or notes or whatever the road to reparations mm-hmm. talks about how the the government is sort of a tool for racism like it's not inherently racist itself right but the people in power use that as sure. a tool you could definitely connect that to Judd and say, well, if he can get his hands around that tool, he could do essentially what his great grandfather did, writing the book that rekindled the KKK. Eventually, like there's a lot of connections to be made. I don't know how explicit we should. Well, the we other thing I wanted to mention, just in like this. a Damon Lindelof being a rat fucker of a plotter, uh, it establishes that his father died in the line of duty as a highway patrol officer in 1994, and he has a twin brother. Oh. 
Right. A fucking twin brother, Jim. Because <laughs> why not? Yeah, because we might have a swaparoo identity that's going mm-hmm. to be important later to the plot. But I'm just like, when I saw twin brother, I just about screamed. I'm like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> God damn it. How many fucking half-baked theories am I going to read about that? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also a memo about mass vigilantes and pop culture. This is Special Agent Petey actually updating the anti-vigilante task force on... His, I guess they do these uh, risk assessments where anything in the, uh, any, uh, his beat is pop culture and anything in pop culture that might increase tensions, he uh, writes like a summary for the FBI and he's talking about season two of American Hero Story. Mm-hmm. Apparently season one was all about Rorschach. Um, and they, Which people are speculating that season one might have been the movie, like the Watchmen movie. Could have been, yeah, yeah. Um, but like the, the, that it's seen in popular culture as this American hero story is be, being very liberal and it's bent and it's uh, historical revisionism. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also on the release of this, there's the Sons of the Pale Horse, which is a tribute band um, that released an album called The Book of Rorschach. Mm-hmm. And this album is being re-released and it's very popular among Seventh Cavalry types. Yeah, it was uh, found in some of the, the homes of yeah. the 7K members who were busted after the White Knight. And the guy who found Rorschach's journal in this New Frontiersman is also one of these um, uh, scholars that study uh, postmodern pop culture. And he's wrote in glowing terms about the uh, 7th Calvary and this uh, Sons of the Pale Horse uh, album. Um, and uh, Petey's really worried that this is going to rile up the 7th Calvary types. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's about it for that. Um, we didn't talk much about this road to reparations, but it's a legal uh, it's a legal argument summary. I think it's a Supreme Court decision, isn't it? Maybe because they talk about I, if not the Supreme Court, it's like a pretty high appellate court because they're talking yeah. about. Um, so this is a a trial that was brought by survivors of the mm-hmm. massacre. And a previous circuit court had denied um, standing because it's passed like none of these people are directly harmed by the activities. And um, it's also way, way, way past the statute of limitations. But there's this novel legal theory that you you want to talk about that, that the the, the court deploys to say that, no, 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 actually, we are going to consider this. Well, the thing that stuck out to me is the sort of categorization of this as a quantum perspective on justice. Yeah. Which I thought was super interesting. Which is um, kind of the way the the Manhattan dis, the, described how he sees time, exactly, as yeah. he can see uh, his future and the past is kind of like happening simultaneously. And I, I actually watched a, <laughs> a video of Ta-Nehisi Coates uh, talking with some some committee to to sort of I, I guess discuss or contemplate uh, reparations or yeah, some court case. Like, uh-huh. um, and and he sort of had you know a, a similar take on it, which was that this is this is not about like pain that happened a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. This is pain that is actively affecting people right now. And you can you the, can the directly follow map it on back. effects yeah. of of these things didn't stop existing yeah. simply because the the time has passed. Yeah, uh, they traveled into our future and and our present, and that was super interesting to me. Yeah, and also the fact that you can. Um, it's not just that it, it goes forward, but the, the courts talked about in this June uh, um, 1921 Tulsa riot that 
the seeds of that go far, far back hundreds of years into oh, like yeah. the original sin of our country, slavery, mm-hmm. and that they ripple forth today. So it's like you can't just say like this is an individual crime. It wasn't, it's not like breaking in a house. Yeah. It's more of like, you know, a crime that like uh, is like a bomb that keeps detonating every generation. Mm-hmm. Um, and just that perspective of looking at our history holistically um, and, and kind of saying like this, we, we have to reckon not with who we were, but who we are, yeah. right? Like as a country, um, because that's all tied in together. That's not just our distant past. It's also yeah. our, our immediate present. And I'll admit that this is being a kind of controversial take. Like, you know, people get really riled yeah. up when you start talking about reparations or you start talking about like, you know, I'm, I, I participate in the reddits where this stuff is debated and there's the often, you know, like, well, I didn't, that's not, I didn't do that. Or like, I, fu- mm-hmm. I mean, like my family, uh, speaking myself, didn't arrive in this country until the late 19th century, well after the civil war. What, but like, I don't the thing is is like it's beyond the scope of this podcast to argue the merits of reparations like sure. if, if if you want to read Ta-Nehisi Coates is the case for reparations to see uh, a, a case to be made for it but like um, clearly this show is sympathetic to this and this is the story they're trying to tell yeah um, and I think ooh, I'm interested to see how they tell it because since it is a controversial topic, is this thing going to make something so nuanced that it actually moves? Like, does is this going to be capable of shifting public sentiment, or is it going to be maybe provide tools with the empathy necessary to help shift public sentiment? <laughs> hey, I, ju- I, judging by the reaction to the first episode, I'm going to say no. Well, I because mean, because anybody who's still watching this show is at least a little bit sympathetic to the idea in the first place, right? This is not going to change anyone's mind. This might. This might help you further your thinking on it. This might mm-hmm. help you better understand why you generally felt that that was a the reparations are an okay idea. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to change anybody from the fuck reparations camp into the no. oh no, actually you're right. Well, I don't know because like there's in the fuck reparations, there's a lot of people that I think have a basic idea of fairness and egalitarianism and holding the you know the multiple generations after an event responsible for something that happened so long ago seems offensive um and again like i said there's that's yeah i i i i, 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 I will say everyone say at one says point fuck, I, everyone says fuck reparations isn't necessarily a died oh i don't think is a died in the world racist there's a lot of people in the center that just like you hear something like hey should we pay uh, black people reparations for slavery and they're like mm. what the fuck we're talking about something that happened like what 150 years ago this is crazy yeah, i used to believe that actually yeah that's no, the way I've, i used to think i've come all the way around on it right but like, where it seems unfair not to this this quant this 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 quantum idea of justice is very relevant because yeah. it's you know I, I you hear so many times it's like well you know the, the civil rights was a long time ago or jim crow was a long time ago redlining was a long time ago civil rights struggles a long time ago it's like yeah but like we're talking about civil rights and jim you know that's that stuff that like literally grandparents and parents are walking around that was directly affected by that there are people alive who saw the tulsa Tulsa, oklahoma black wall street event yeah and if you see if you look back at these histories that are all a long time ago it's a it's a story of generational attempts for uh segments of the white population to knock down the black population Mm -hmm. every time it tries to stand up (laughs) yeah my dad was alive when the redlining in chicago was in full swing like exactly Exactly. yeah that shit is and you can draw you can still draw modern parallels like why is this the water situation of flint so fucked up Mm -hmm. you know 
Um, where are communities living that still have to deal with lead paint? Their children eating lead paint because the landlords and the the, the haven't updated yeah. their stuff. Like, why, this... why do you think poverty is disproportionately affecting minorities? I, that's the thing. Why, you, you, you why come do you down... think the the prison population is disproportionately minorities? Like, there, there's two ways you can interpret that. Number one, the racists are right, and black people are just inferior. <laughs> they can't get their shit together. Sure, sure. Or or there's some external influence that's mm -hmm. that's causing this this uh, you know this this uh, quote unquote invisible thing that's dragging this this people downward. I mean, if you believe the former, at least have the good grace to admit that maybe you're just a little racist. Yeah, and, and when I <laughs> if, when if that's I'm... the thing you want to appeal to rather than like complex social economic factors. Sure, and and I I think if I'm being generous to myself, and hopefully this is true, mm -hmm. that when I thought reparations were a stupid idea, mm -hmm. it wasn't out of uh, some latent racism. Mm -mm. It was more out of just like that sense of, yeah, what the fuck? It's Why ignorance. would I pay yeah. for something that happened 150 years ago? Uh, yeah, it's ignorance. And as I read more and more, I started to think about it and decided, actually, no, a lot of, a lot of these arguments make way more sense than I was... I wasn't even familiar with the arguments. Sure. And I imagine most people who who have that general feeling of like, this is unfair to have to pay for that. Mm -hmm. Haven't, haven't considered what the argument for it actually mm -hmm. is in any real way. And that's what I mean by moving the ball forward is that there are going to be a yeah. lot of people who like the Watchmen and who are not racist, who have no problem saying, Oh yeah, Rorschach, he could be pretty racist. He's a super reactionary. These people might be exposed to these ideas for the first time. And to the extent that this show pulls off something, those are the people that like now they're a nuts they're they're another part of the population talking about like you know if you're at a bar a barbecue and the topic comes up as it sometimes does like you can push back a little bit or if you're on an internet mm -hmm. forum you're not gonna you're gonna be one less person saying this is bullshit and one more person being like actually there is a point to this and so I, I think that's where it could be that you know you're not swinging yeah I'm not you're not trying to redeem like dyed in wool racist you're trying to educate yeah. people in the middle and a fun and engaging story um told with a lot of pop culture appeal can be a vehicle to do that mm -hmm. I mean shit my dad's watching this NBC show I forget what it's called uh but he, he he called me like three months ago like saying did you know that the Black Panthers actually were just a you know a, an organization trying to feed kids like lunches in Chicago and they were armed. They mm -hmm. they had good reason to be armed. I mean, why? Like like my fucking seventy three year old dad dad's like, oh, someone's discovering uh, some some American history. It's mm -hmm. like this pop culture shit does uh, have the ability to change people's minds. Yeah, um, and I think that's it'll be interesting to see if they can pull that off. Rick, how you doing, buddy? You, you don't know what it's like out there. Hey, man, d do you even know what it's like out there? N no, not really. I've been mostly kind of flying around in helicopters, carving likenesses of Michonne in the cell phones, that kind of thing. W what is it like out there? Oh, well, I think it's time to find out, man. Last I saw your wife, Michonne, was out uh, following a giant wagon train. That, that sounds pretty weird, but it seems like a family-friendly outfit. I mean, she's got RJ and Judah with her, right? Um, actually, she kind of left them to be raised by... Negan and Daryl. Well, crap. Hold on, let me get my boots. 
All right, well, Rick is getting ready. Aaron and I are too. We're preparing to once again recommission the Watching Dead out of mothball status to find out what's going on with Rick and Michonne, the ones who live. The six-part miniseries premieres Sunday, February 25th on AMC, and we'll be ready with our full episodic coverage each Tuesday. And afterwards, who knows? Maybe we'll check out Dead City. Find our coverage for The Ones Who Live by searching for The Watching Dead or Bald Move Pulp wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, we are pretty long in this episode already, but we still have some feedback. Uh, you can okay. send feedback into watchmen at baldmove.com, and you can also participate in our weekly uh, threads on the episodes at forums.baldmove.com. Don't forget, every Sunday night, or immediately after the East Coast airing, we have our Instant Talk podcast, uh, which if you're a club member, you can join in live and participate over at baldmove.com. All right, watchmen at baldmove.com is the feedback, and I'm reading it. James is up first. He says, you mentioned on last week's pod that you were curious about people who were going into this series blind without any knowledge of the comics or movies. Uh, I am one of those people. I love The Leftovers, and I'm always in for a Lindelof show, but I've never heard of The Watchmen before this series was announced. I'm only 21 years old, so perhaps it's just before my time, or maybe I'm just ignorant of The Watchmen universe. Yeah, I mean, you were, what, nine years old when the, or like five years old when the first one came out? Was that 10 years the, ago or 15 movie? years ago? Oh, 2007, right? Or two, oh, was it? Yeah, 10 years ago. So, yeah, I think you did. And then the original came out in the 80s. So you're yeah. you're definitely excused there, James. When I fired up the pods, I feel almost lost amongst the information and little tidbits you guys mentioned, which are obviously informed by your knowledge of the source material. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. I think we are doing a in-the-know style podcast more than a new viewer-friendly podcast, which... Well, I'm trying to do a better it's job hard this not week. To do that. If like when I, we talk about the Black Freighter to introduce the concept of the Black Freighter and its significance and stuff like that. But I will say, uh, so let me just continue with uh, James' uh, email. It says, correct me uh, if I miss something in the premiere, but you guys talking about how the squid rains are actually government made, not some real freaks of interdimensional nature came off to me as a spoiler. Well, I mean, so I think we're talking about the possibility that it is... Uh, a spoiler but it, it's possible that it's government made but like i think we're getting to the point as you don't know anything about interdimensional squids and the nature of it and the, and the source material and that's rough but i feel like i don't know because it's not like it's just different from game of thrones where season one game of thrones was exactly like the book one of game of thrones uh-huh. uh called game of thrones this is a sequel so it's like if we were talking about Empire Strikes Back and someone hadn't seen Star Wars, I fully believe a person can enjoy Empire Strikes Back without having seen the first one. Hmm. But you are also going to be missing a lot of the characters' depths and the relationships and stuff that's only hinted because it all took place in the previous film. So it's like they're not spoilers, but they are informed speculation. Um, but I don't know because I feel like that's what that's the type of podcast people want. They want us to use all available public information to try to solve this mystery. And I'm specifically limited to stuff that's in this episode because I know a lot of people are drawing things from next time on yes. videos and they're drawing yes. things from like, I've seen six episodes. Here's yes. my crazy theory. Like same. I, I specifically don't mention that stuff so that I won't spoil anyone who is familiar with the, the material. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of like, um, if you've seen the next week on, you could, there's a lot of things you could automatically surmise and probably be correct. I I don't even read that stuff. I see it and I, I tune it out because I don't want it to influence this podcast. 
Right. So we're trying to do, and we're so the, the thing I think we're trying to do better is explain some of these concepts as they come up rather than just refer to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but seriously, I got two and a half hours this weekend. Watch the Zack Snyder movie. Yeah, it's pretty good, and it does. It uh, won't explain the squids. Won't explain but, the squids. But just, just know that. Uh, the, yeah, the end of that movie should have a big squid in it. Yeah, instead of <laughs> Doctor Manhattan, uh, it's 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 an an actual an actual reality. It's a, a giant psychic squid that attacked the Earth. Yeah. Um, okay, let's move on to Alan. What if the first episode, uh, Ozzy Mandius is celebrating the first anniversary of something that happened in 2013? Okay. Wait. Why? So uh, the reason he went back to 2013 is because they established that Ozymandias has been uh, missing for seven years. Okay, so this would—he's presuming that this is the first anniversary of him being in hiding. Okay, but we're, are we in like September 2019? How do we know that show? in the Ozymandias plotline? Well, we don't. So he's yeah. speculating also <laughs> okay. that this so he's is speculating also he's speculating is, on top of these. These are also yep. flashbacks, but I mean, it okay. makes sense. And I, I, I want to talk about it after we get this whole email out. But uh-huh. um, the little go, the for, er, initial goings is choppy, and I need to elaborate that. Okay. Because what if the scenes are flashbacks a year apart, and we will keep getting these until he becomes relevant to the plot by actually creating his own Doctor Manhattan? He's missing for seven years before being declared, right? The first seven episodes, we get a yearly recap of what he's up to, with episode eight being a good place for him to pop up in the present timeline with a perfected play and a way to create his own Dr. Manhattan. Not sure if it's canon to the show, but Ozymandias did add the technology in the movie to rip Dr. Manhattan apart again, so he could presumably do the same to one of his clones. So I'm going to put aside the whole creating his own Dr. Manhattan thing. Okay, because his technology does not look that advanced, I'm going to say. Um, well, I mean, it's, it's the stage technology. But mm-hmm. but I I kind of... There's two things. I like this theory just on its merits. I think it's an interesting theory, and it does seem like Ozymandias ca- catching up to the plot, you know, happening like late in the season feels right. And we know it's going to happen. Lindelof has said these plots will intersect. Yes, um, the thing I don't like is there's nothing that tells us that this is flashbacks except for the candle sequence, which how do you feel about that? Like we're only two episodes in, um, there's little things he could put in for the third episode. If like, but it's what? always three, there's three candles and four candles that you could get the sense of progression. But like, I don't know. So, so the implication here is that by saying, so is the emailer saying that an actual year has passed between yes first and second anniversary? Yes, that we were in 2013, the first year of his hiding. Then we're in 2014, and this year, next next episode, presumably we'll have a flashback to 2015. I mean, all it all works. I think people could appreciate it with hindsight of being what it is, but I mm-hmm. don't, in general, like the idea of a filmmaker doing a flashback without calling attention to it through some. A color filter or preferably a flashback that says what date it is like uh, it seems like cheating it seems like the kind of um you know uh uh what's that movie that i'm always railing about with the tw- the bullshit twist oh uh unusual uh, the, the usual suspects usual, unusual it's like one of those things where <laughs> yeah. it's like look how clever we are because we kept a whole bunch of information and tricked you the whole time mm-hmm. like i don't know yeah i feel you on that but i I think it's also just as easily explained as an anniversary is not... You're thinking of an anniversary too literally. You're, you're thinking of like it in terms of a, a temporal anniversary where you mm-hmm. should maybe be thinking of it as an iterative process. Yeah, as a process. sequence. 
on the other hand, if this is involving Doctor Manhattan in any way, yeah, the idea Time's that on to, the table. to yeah. yeah that 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 this is a perception of time and we perceive time differently is entirely on the table because that's Doctor Manhattan's whole thing. Time to him is literally a flat circle. Yep. So. I it's interesting and I'm going to see how it plays out before I'm going to rule whether I think it's bullshit or not. Yeah. If we get, if we get three and we see even further progress, like maybe he's got, you know, a really cool, a good chamber to burn John in, uh, to burn Mr. Phillips. Why, in. So why are you, is this a bit you're doing? Or are you really hung up on his like shitty replication chamber? He doesn't, he doesn't seem to have any tech well, anywhere. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. He's got. He's not surrounded by tech, and then he goes into this shitty stage play. But he's cloning these people. It implies that he has some technology. Is he? I don't know that it. he's cloning these people. Where are they coming from? Doctor Manhattan. Okay. Like, it's, <laughs> no, I know. There are a million <laughs> explanations for everything. Is my point. I like, know. I know. You're right. You're right. Doctor Manhattan literally can fucking explain anything. It, it, he could. Yeah. What? What did you need to happen? Doctor Manhattan did it. All right. Let's move on. So to, I don't want to shit on your theory. No, I just want to say I'm thinking of it very differently. And there's no wrong answers yeah. at this point. Jared says, I was pretty excited to see a song by Orville Peck in season one, episode two of Watchmen, as he's a pretty clear thematic fit for the show. Allow me to explain. When Angela comes in to tell Topher his uncle died, the song playing in the background is Nothing Fades Like the Night by Orville Peck. Orville Peck is a gay cowboy uh, music singer-songwriter who performs exclusively in a luchador-like mask and refuses to publicly hmm. disclose his true identity. Fuck yeah. He said in his many interviews that maintaining anonymity, anonymity allows him to be the truest version of himself. He's a Banksy or marshmallow type. Yeah. It's not a reach to see why the showrunners would choose to use his music in the show, and it's particularly clever given the cowboy themes in this episode. I don't know if they're what they're going for or going for anything else aside from a wink and an extra layer of text for people to catch. I'll leave that up to folks who are far more versed in Watchmen lore than me to sleuth out. I'd be curious to know if it's a song Topher is listening to on the radio or if it's just background music cue. Uh, hmm. I'm not sure if it's, uh, what do you call that, diegetic or mm-hmm. not. Um, moving on, but thanks for that. That's a really good catch, Jared. Uh, Lauren says some random things I found interesting for episode two. The man who's talking uh, from the kiosk while Angela's in the cultural center is actually a real person. Henry Louis Gates Jr. hosts a genealogy show on PBS called Finding Your Roots. I thought I recognized him for something. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Also, Louis Gossett Jr. in Roots, the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, if you go on PDPedia, the reparations document shows that survivors of the Tulsa massacre are being represented by Johnny Cochran. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, the new snippet on PDPedia, which is actually true from the real world. Oh he, shit! He, he was, was in- part of that. Yeah, that suit that I mentioned that mirrored this uh, PD file. Uh, indeed, indeed. Uh, moving on to Sam's feedback. Just read through this week's Pediapedia, Pediapedia, and noticed something interesting. In the article on Judd Crawford's suspected murder, they mentioned his wife's maiden name is Alexander. Meanwhile, the road reparations document was from the dissent in Alexander versus State of Oklahoma. Not sure what this means, but it appears as though Mrs. Crawford's family may have been involved in a reparations case. And Alexander, Alexander the Great. Shout yeah. out to my horse, Bocephus. Bocephus. Uh, yeah, Gordian Knots, cutting Gordian Knots with my Bocephus blade. Uh, Hell yeah, we're, we're all Alexander up in here. I mean, so, I don't know, they, that's the thing, it's like, that could just be a wink to the Watchmen, that could be significant, who the fuck knows? It's just something. Yeah. Notice it, not notice it, if you don't notice it, you might need to notice it in the future, that's all I'm saying. 
<laughs> Josh is if Will is hooded justice, the noose around hooded justice neck becomes so much more interesting than an aesthetic choice. I always thought the hooded justice's noose was meant to be a symbol of vigilante justice to go along with his executioner's mask, the cold finality of justice. But by making hooded justice Will, then the rope becomes a symbol of injustice and racial fear. It's also a commentary on the precarious position a black hero would be in. While he is saving white lives as hooded justice at any moment, he could be strung up by those same white people for any number of bullshit reasons. The noose is then a reflection of the capricious nature of justice. Some are saved and some are doomed for reasons they cannot control. A lot of fans have issues with their white skin, uh, the white skin around the eyes of hooded justice, but I think it would match with this world if in the, char- the character of hooded justice was whitewashed over time. Uh, they made him white in the retelling over the years, or they just assumed he was white from the beginning. Let me throw another wrinkle into this because mm. I I read uh, something where Lindelof says that they intend to revisit the past century of costumed adventuring through a surprising yet familiar set of eyes. Mm. Which, if you look at Hooded Justice's outfit, the only thing visible are his set of eyes. And that's what the American Horror Hero story is all about, right? Yeah. So there's there's a lot to go on. Did I mention that Cecily did some research in the American Horror Story podcast, and it turns out that like uh, they got explicit permission to do the American Horror from from Murphy Ryan to do Murphy American to sh- Hero Story to do American Hero Story and intentionally, huh. yeah. So he gave them their blessing to like you know bastardize the American Horror nice. Story, American Crime Story, all the different s- American stories he's been telling. Yeah, um, I thought that was interesting. Also, like this whole thing with the white around the guy's eyes, I feel like. I, I meant to mention this at the scene where Angela's getting suited up and she's spray painting that line in her over her eyes. Mm-hmm. I mean, you mentioned this last, last week as kind of a joke, but like they're showing the descendant of Will spraying a color around their eyes to aid their disguise. Mm-hmm. So like a black man in the 30s and 40s painting his eyes to make him look white. Yeah. Uh, so he doesn't just get fucking lynched up everywhere he goes is a pretty smart camouflage. Yeah. So I feel like they've already given us the piece of the puzzle we need to just, you know, if, if that's your only reservation of this guy being hooded justice, then they showed his an- ancestor doing the exact same fucking thing for that's the true. exact same reasons to 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 better blend in at the costume. Good point. Uh, Josh L. I didn't think much of it at first, but why do you think Regina King's chosen mask is Sister Knight and is coupled with all this religious imagery? She doesn't seem to be particularly religious and she carries items meant to evoke the grace of God, not his wrath. For example, the rosary and the crucifix. Yet, she seems to be incredibly unforgiving in the first episode. Also, her name being Angela, evoking angels. I know it's Lindelof. Who knows if this is anything, but it seems like they're trying to find something to say with all of that that I don't really get yet. I honestly didn't even put any of this together. The contrast between the tools of forgiveness versus her uncompromising, unforgiving attitude and... Angela being associated angels, um, even though we say that all the damn time in the Mr. Robot podcast. Uh, right. It is interesting, and it is Lindelof, and who fucking knows? There's a... So I, I didn't I didn't have time to research this. It seemed like a weird connection to make, but there is a DC character called Brother Knight. Uh, yes, I saw that Which same fucking thing. Yeah. May have, I'm going to have to look into it a little bit more over the course of the next week, maybe come back mm. with something next episode. But I, I don't know. If anybody knows about Brother Knight and how it might relate, feel free to write in. Yeah, I saw some of those threads that, that pull as well. Uh, finally, they conclude, this is probably dumb, but Lux Detergent. They mention it by name, and then it gets a direct shot during the Hooded Justice fight scene. 
Lux is a measurement of light. Is that a product placement <laughs> joke or a metaphor about things happening in the shadows of this world? Mm. Uh, to the extent that Lux is not a real product, then it's not pl- product placement. Although I guess in the context of this show and within a show, it could be. Oh, but right. I like I like the meta analysis there, Josh. Mm-hmm. Pretty good work. And that's our podcast for the week. Watchmen at baldmove.com is how you get in feedback. You can also discuss uh, your favorite theories with your fellow fans at forums.baldmove.com. Uh, follow along with all the stuff we do on baldmove.com. In fact, come back Sunday night for our Instant Take podcast. And if you're a club member at club.baldmove.com, you can also join for the Instant Talk. Watch us record it live and uh, get your two cents in. We'll be back this Sunday for another episode of The Watchmen and then next Tuesday for the full recap. Until then, I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya. Mm-hmm.